It's the Chris Grace Show. I'm your host, Chris Grace. Episode three, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. This is a podcast where I interview interesting people about interesting things. And this week is no exception. I've got uh, my guest, Chris Turner, who's a hilarious comedian, freestyle rapper, YouTube creator. He performs all over the world at the Edinburgh Fringe, Comedy Cellar in New York City, Las Vegas. And he's got a lot of interesting perspectives about creating new material for himself, um, where he came from, how he came up through uh, comedy, stand-up, how he was sort of freestyle rapping before he even really knew what it was. And um, I also asked him about his perspective as a white man in the world of rap and how that informs his uh, approach to being... Uh, I don't know if this is precisely the way to say it, but like skill forward, you know, demonstrating that um, he's not a tourist. He's not a dilettante. He is someone who cares about rap, uh, who has an affection for the form and wants to just be really good at it and be respectful of the art form and uh, isn't just doing it as a, you know, as a gimmick. Also just want to note that uh, on my side of the recording, this week for some reason you're going to hear some dogs barking in the background and uh, those aren't my dogs those are the neighbors just thought you should know that uh, as usual I'll be rambling about my personal life after the interview in the ramble you can email me at podcast at chrisgrace.com uh, please come join the community at club.chrisgrace.com would love to chat with you about this episode and the past episodes that we've posted and uh, in the meantime let's get right to it please enjoy my interview with Chris Turner I'm so excited to have uh, my next guest on our show. This is a gentleman I saw years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe. I believe in a uh, improvised story. I don't remember what it was. Maybe a murder mystery of some kind. Uh, an improvised, well, we would call it a boy's own adventure. Um, kind of like the, the old kind of Monty Python ripping yarns. And we have to be careful to put the space in between boys and own because otherwise when we advertised it people would go a boy's own adventure that sounds <laughs> oh, right. incredible that sounds like they're my favorite band uh you're also very careful i believe to put a lot of a's at the front of the name of that show yeah this is for anyone who doesn't know the edinburgh fringe festival maybe about 12 years ago when we started doing this if you put a lot of a's at the start of your show so we ours was called and now for something completely improvised You'd be at the front alphabetically. This is why the, the yellow pages have like triple A, you know, plumbing. Um, and by doing that, you people would just come. Like people are like, oh, it doesn't work. It genuinely works. People are lazy. They go, oh, this looks fun. You're like, you're an idiot. But those idiots <laughs> are our audience. Do you have the yellow pages in the UK? Uh, yes. I was about to get all like British and be like, we invented the yellow pages, but I don't know. So let's let's find out. Yellow pages. Who invented them? The real yellow pages. Cheyenne, Wyoming. That was so quick. 1883. When a printer producing a directory ran out of white paper and used yellow instead. And they stopped printing in 2019. So My guest is Chris Turner. He's a hilarious comedian, actor, rapper, uh, all about uh, Renaissance man, I would assume. Oh, well, uh, you added actor in. I'm def I have acted, but I guess I hardly consider myself an actor. I saw you act in that show. That was that. I mean, you were improvising. That was just play. That's just that's a show with my best friends. We're just messing around, and the fact that people come and see it is a bonus. Um, there is a strong element at Edinburgh Fringe of just like 
we're just cheeky college boys doing doing a show like yeah and it's weird now that we're all in our mid-30s well but i mean that but that sentiment has driven like so many legendary shows from the fringe like the the uh beyond the fringe and Mm. you know like uh i just read that uh garth merengi dark place i think was a fringe show or something yeah it was yeah like like the amount of shows that are just some some lads faffing about (laughs) and then it's just like pretty much exactly what it is yeah i mean they become comedy legends Yeah, well, they they do. Yeah, not us. I mean, you know, I'm I'm in a soundproof booth in in Brooklyn rather than you know hoi polloying. No, hobnobbing with the hoi polloi. That would be the phrase. Hobnobbing with the hoi polloi. But uh, Chris Turner, you don't need to sell yourself short. Uh, you are in New York City. You, I see you all over the place going viral for your stand up slash freestyle rapping. I see you. Uh, I mean. This might not mean a lot to a lot of people, but I believe you perform at the Comedy Cellar a bunch. Yes, yeah, I'm there. Um, which is you know for stand-ups that is a mark of prestige. Yeah, yeah, no, say. it's it's amazing. It's the best. That's why I moved to New York. I was in LA, and then over the pandemic, it was like, well, I'm lucky enough that I get to perform at the Cellar. Why am I not in New York when that is the place to be? Like you're going on with not just famous comedians, you're going on with the best comedians because. Shock, horror, it's not always the case that the most famous comedians are the funniest. Um, and it just, it it's a challenge every night to have to go up after someone who's just smashed it. And then they're like, and now this British guy. And everyone's like, but we know who Ray Romano is. Who are you? <laughs> right, right. We also, uh, I mean, Ray Romano's doing stand-up comedy. You are doing some amount of stand-up comedy, but pl- I assume also in your set, you, are you currently doing freestyling in the shows? Yes. Oh, I'm always doing my freestyle rap. It would be re- it would be really weird if I didn't. Um, it's. I remember early on when I wanted to support comedians in the UK, as in like open for them on the road. I asked my agent. I was like, should I stop rapping when I'm performing because it's not like it's. You don't necessarily want to go on after something musical. You know, it's not just going on after stand-up. It's going on after something different. It's always a bit like, ah. And even when I was a new comic, I looked down on musical comedians. I was like, ah, they're cheating. And then I became one. Um, and it is cheating. That's not Yeah, you haven't that. stopped looking down on musical comedians. <laughs> it just includes yourself now. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, well, as all comedians, yeah, they hate themselves. And that I, that's my part of that. But I asked my agent, I was like, should I just not do the rap so I have more a chance of getting booked to open? And he was like, no, just keep doing the rap and then you won't have to open for anyone because you'll be on at the end. And I was like, that's good advice. And thankfully it worked out. I, this is something I struggle with, which is, you know, which I don't know how much you face in your ecosphere, but it's like how much I want to just do the, the the parts of my material that I know are like super A plus in a, in a new environment because it's new people seeing me and stuff and, and how much uh, I want to like work on new things. It's constant battle. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the things about the cellar is everyone there could be someone because it's the place that people will go to kind of scout out people. You know, obviously there's like long established people there, but also they're auditioning new comedians constantly. So you're seeing new talent there and it's the place that, you know, the general public go. And for a lot of people, you're their first comedy show they've ever seen. Like you get people coming in, they've come from Cheyenne, Wyoming and they are, you know, they're like, my dad made the yellow pages. Exactly. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, this 90-year-old woman is there. I finally got to the letter C in the yellow pages. Uh, <laughs> found me. And the comedy cell, very good. Um, so you have, I always try and turn it on every night, but you want to develop material. So then you have to go and do that in other rooms where it's not as fun as the cellar because it's not 150 people who have just seen a great lineup. Um, so you kind of get around that by dropping new jokes in in the middle of your sets. That's, you know, that's the, the secret in it. Sneak it in in the middle. And then if it flops, I'm just like, rap time. <laughs> well, that's a great, that's a great uh, parachute that you have. It really is. It's a real backup. I can take risks knowing that I can just whip out a freestyle rap. And have you um, had a good experience sort of widening out into the like the local New York City uh, world of comedy shows, you know? Yeah, I've started out doing more. Really the first kind of, yeah, the, the, the first was, the, the priority was always doing the seller because you want to show that, you know, you appreciate them putting the faith in you and the fact that they'll book me a lot means that I want to prioritize them all the time. And then there are, as you meet people through the seller, you find out they have shows. So there's, you know, a regular musical comedy show that I've just started doing. And then there's, um, you know, a venue where I do new material every month and I just get an hour and a half and I just go on stage and I'm like, hey, let's figure out if these jokes are fun. Wait, you do an hour and a half? Is that what you said? Yeah. Off paper, though, I don't memorize an hour and a half of new jokes every month. And I'm not saying that it's an hour and a half of good stuff every month, but you know, I've done like the last three combined, I probably have about 45 minutes of stuff that's good out of them. So that's the hit rate. One sixth of of my, my content is... Wait, I want to talk about this because I just recently did a 30 minute set and that was like, mm. man, this is long for me. <laughs> but how long have you been doing stand up for? Well, too long. Uh, but I haven't done it consistently until like mid pandemic I started again. Okay. Yeah. So... so- and I'm not doing a ton of stuff from the stuff I did before. Are we, are we talking about the the length of time being on stage being weird or the kind of generating that much stuff? The length of time. Well, I guess when you have a 90 minute set, so you're going in and how much well, in your mind, how much of that do you partition to like, this is going to be rapping? So in, a 90, in those shows, and let's say maybe 80 minutes of it is the show because, you know, 10 minutes is the audience are late and there's admin involved. And I come on and I'm like, hey, thank you for coming and do all the stuff. This isn't, I'm I'm always quite keen to be, like I do this in Edinburgh. I come on and I say, hi, thank you so much for coming. This is not the show. It's not funny. This is me just expressing gratitude for you, the audience. We're going to have fun. And then I'm like, cool, now the show starts. So there's admin and faff. So about 80 minutes. And then I'd say, 20 minutes of that is freestyling. I'll do like three reps. And that's because people who come because they found me online often think I just rap. And I I don't mind that, but I, I need to rectify that by posting more stand-up. I just am lazy. And so, like, because I have the stand-up to post because I'm generating all this stuff, but I just don't do it i mean the 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 whole post-production requirements of a modern stand-up are overwhelming it's yeah i find it frustrating because i i just want to not just like oh i want to spend my time writing jokes i want to spend my time doing things that aren't stand-up and that's not like other creative things that's having a life and enjoying (laughs) enjoying my time right you didn't have on a list of things you love doing 
converting video to vertical format and subtitling it. <laughs> exactly. That's not one of the things I want. I mean, in an ideal world, I would not have to do stand-up. I could just do nothing, and that would be lovely. <laughs> Isn't that... I want to be like landed gentry. I want to be like Mr. Darcy, who has you know 5,000 a year and some land. And what does he do? He goes to... He shoots things, and he goes to balls, and that that sounds lovely well i i do think that you could have pulled that off when you came to america if you had just done a sort of con type situation i could have been the fake heiress yeah i could have rocked up here if you had wheedled your way into some uh, <laughs> uh uh heiress's heart that would that would have been lovely but it would have really upset my wife you know what i bet she would have she would have been fine with it <laughs> when she saw the castle <laughs> oh yeah no that would be great but so going on stage, I then probably do 60 minutes of stand-up because, yeah, the 20 minutes of rap, I have to start with the rap, end with the rap, and do a rap in the middle because there are people who've come and they brought friends saying, this guy does amazing freestyles, you won't believe it. And they come, and so I'm like, here's, you, here's what you wanted and what you expect, and I've made it really good because in those shows I'll do specifically very challenging beats or very challenging formats of freestyle, which are different to what I post online. And then... An hour is jokes and stories and thoughts. And I have them all written down and then I'll watch through the videos and go, this is good. And I'll then either bank it and work on it away from that gig or I will work on it before the next gig and maybe bring it back on in a different format. So, you know, it's not brand new every time. I might have brought a story back that I've then tweaked or restructured. But I am trying to build an, you know, a new show. We're trying to turn out an hour of stand-up comedy every year, right, with the kind of festival circuit of going to Edinburgh every year, doing a new hour. And then once you get into the rhythm of that, and I've this would be my like seventh or eighth hour-long show that I'm working on, uh, it just becomes very natural because you know the beats of a show and it's just plugging in stories and making them funny. And obviously they should get progressively more funny. Like, I think this new, you know, my last show was a musical comedy show. And I thought, wow, my next show is going to be another musical comedy show, but better. But the show I'm writing at the moment is not a musical comedy show at all. Because I'm like, oh, I can actually make a funnier show not making a musical. This feels like a very British approach uh, in the sense that uh, you are, is the genesis of a new 45 minutes that you're bringing to this show or an hour of new stuff, is the genesis of that uh, you actually writing it down Um as opposed to you writing it on stage through a variety of a series of 10-minute gigs or whatever? Most of it is writing it down in advance. And then through the repetition of the routines, when you're not reading off paper, when you've learned them, if someone told me that you... I have something about like that. When they're like, oh, I write on stage, what that means is do your bit, but don't stick like slavishly to the script I used to think that was pronounced uh, like lavishly. So I'd always be like slavishly. Slavishly? Oh. Is your th- is your, are you saying that uh, the people that say that they write on stage, they actually just are writing a little bit before they go on stage? They have a premise, I think. I mean, I'm not going to talk for anyone else, but for me, that's what someone told me to do. They're like, when you're doing a bit, if it's getting laughs, keep pushing. So say I have a routine, there's a punchline. I'll do the punchline, and then if something pops into my head, say it again and see if it's funny. And you just keep pushing that joke and building out the joke. So I'll watch back recordings of a bit that's gone well and go, oh, is that joke fit to go into that routine? And maybe I put it on at the end, but I need to I put it in the middle now. 
Um, you just keep pushing it. But yeah, I mean, most of the stuff I'm going to say is written out in advance because I, I know what's funny by now. Yeah. So that this is what I think. I I think this is a very interesting sort of um, distinction between I would say a general U.S. philosophy of stand-up and the philosophy that I've encountered going to a lot of Edinburghs, which is. Um, it, when I went to Edinburgh was the first time that I encountered stand-ups that would say like, you know, oh, I've written my hour. Now I just got to go test it out over the next couple months and make sure it's ready for for, uh, the, for the festival. And I, which I think that the I, – first of all, I think all the approaches are fine. Like the only thing that matters is the show that you end up putting up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have – the whole j- journey from generating the material to trying it um in front of people i feel like the arc is so different between a typical london uh comic experience and let's say a new york chicago la because uh and actually this is why i i uh, started a show at ucb uh here in la which is just for sort of established comics to try 10 minutes of brand new material because there's really not that many places that you would consider like new material nights mm-hmm. here in the U.S. Like most cities have one or two, as opposed to the open mics, which are a very different vibe, I think. Yeah, and you don't get that feedback. Like it, your material might not go down well because there's eight people there in a bar, but also your best jokes might not go down well when there's eight people there. So yeah, having those new material shows is very useful. And I'm, I, I'm because I like to do these long new material shows, that's why I, you know, I don't book a support act for them, which is what you, the reason there's 90 minutes in these spots is because people will bring openers. And I'm like, nah, I just want the time for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I mean. It sounds like you've sort of created your own, um, like your the environment you need to get to that new material, like, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I'm, you know, it's, it's fortunate that I can do that, that I can email out a mailing list and say, hey, new material show, and people will turn up. Um, and I, I tell them it's going to be new, and it's fortunate that people want to see that. Because like, the excitement is you're going to see stuff that might never be seen again, or you're going to see the germ of an idea that will one day turn into something big. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and know. they're definitely seeing something new with the raps. You know. Exactly. They're always seeing something new. Something new and good. That's the guaranteed new and good bit. Right. And then, <laughs> and then there's just new. <laughs> I thought of a really nice analogy, because usually I always start the show, I'm like, hey, we're going to spend 80 minutes throwing shit at a wall, seeing what sticks. That means you guys are the wall, but I'm the guy throwing shit, and they always like that. But I'm just like, oh, you could see the, the grain of sand that will one day become a pearl, but also it could just remain a grain of sand. And that's quite fun. So yeah, let's clip that. Boom. That's in my brain. Also, I haven't opened my can yet, so I was like, I've got a can of LaCroix. Oh, let's get this on the mic. Let's... Why open it before we're recording, then open it on the mic, because that's an audio-visual Wait, before you do this, cr- we're gonna, I'm yeah. going to encourage the listener to try to figure out what flavor it is by the sound. Oh, you can tell. There's different levels of carbonation in each one, so this is quite an obvious one. What did you think, listener? Oh, that was lovely. If they want an answer, the answer is, of course, the classic, Pomplemousse. Pomplemousse, yes. Everybody loves that one. Everyone, a lot of people learned what the word Pomplemousse meant by LaCroix telling them. Yeah. Just, just after we learned how to pronounce LaCroix. Well, that's it. You, you pronounce the name LaCroix, so not French, because it's the family surname, 
but then you pronounce pomplamous, you pronounce it French. Yeah, you're so not really like pamplamousa. Yeah, yeah. Pample, uh, uh So let's talk about. So I, so I saw you first in this Racing Minds show at the French, mm-hmm. um, and w- at that point, are you doing stand up? Yes. So I started stand up in two thousand and nine, and I did my first show the day after Michael Jackson died, and that's because I remember that, not because I was like that was the inspiration uh, when he passed on i felt i must take up his mantle as the greatest performer of a generation so i started doing that and but i'd started improv in as soon as i went to university in 2008 so october 2008 i was doing improv i then started stand up 7 8 months later so yeah i was doing stand up but i got into stand up through improv cuz i was doing improv and it was like this is really fun and my director said hey you should try stand up as well because you're quite selfish as an improviser. <laughs> Did and he actually I say think that? that? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think if you do stand-up, you'll get that stage time that's just you, and then you'll be a more giving improviser on stage. And uh, <laughs> what happened was I did stand-up, was like, I'm extra funny. So became more selfish on stage, which is why the, the show with Racing Minds works, because the other three performers, and then a musician who's also you know, a performer but not active on stage in the same way, uh, those improvisers are all much better than me and much more experienced and more... We all believe we're the funniest one. And so that works. As long as everyone is pulling equally, then you get a beautiful diamond. Yeah, if everyone's, if four people are pulling equally, they turn a circle into a diamond or a square, but diamond sounds better. So I would almost say as long as you're sort of pulling differently as well. If if uh, if two of you just want to be the best pun master, in yes, the show. and that's that's our dynamics. I guess I forget that we have the we always used to divide ourselves into the optimist, the pessimist, the realist, and the surrealist, ah. and that was kind of our our comedy zodiac. I think this is will. how the band Kiss started as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One's the cat. Yeah, one's, one's the cat. Got the big one tongue. is one is the optimist. moon man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Space. We got spaceman, cat, demon, and Starboy. Or is that the weekend? Like, at what point did you think to yourself? Well, for actually, at what point in this journey are you rapping? Are you starting to rap? I was rapping before I started doing improv. I was rapping from the age of twelve, but I then started rapping on stage through the improv because we'd have improv games where you had to rap, and then I started doing it in my stand-up in probably 2011 2012 that was when i started doing hosting kids shows in edinburgh and i would in my set to entertain the kids do a song inspired by the kids um and then that was doing that on stage realizing that the audiences liked it i started doing it in my stand-up as well i have rapped a couple times in my stand-up sets um and i just what i do is i bring up one of your youtubes and i just uh, just verbatim <laughs> do that thing. Yeah. Well, because uh, actually this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you like at this moment is because, so, I mean, I've done a show called baby wants candy at fringe for years and we have raps that come up occasionally. <laughs> That's what we, we call them. Raps, raps come up. Um, and I've always been fine in those, but I've always been in the caliber of freestylers that is like, I'll do my four bars or eight bars then we'll get to a chorus, and then we'll do something funny, and then I'll get out. And are you thinking of your bars before you do them? Are you there going, oh, it's coming around to me. I'm going to come up with the rhymes. So at that point, I would be. 
Um, or I would this is actually more 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 accurately, I would think of, hey, here's a couple of rhymes, and then I would say the first rhyme and then forget what the second word was. Uh, even if it was the most obvious, even if I ended the first line with life and I was going to say wife. It's so upsetting to all female improvisers that wife and strife rhyme. This is a, a, a kind of bete noir of my wife, uh, my actual wife. She's just like every time, because no one rhymes husband, you know. So why is it wife and strife? Right? It's like, you know, glove, love, dove and above, shove. You have five you have five rhymes that you can use unless you're a poet in the past, in which case, for some reason, you can write prove and rhyme it with love. And everyone's like, yeah, that's clever. To everyone listening, start rhyming wife with knife. That'll go great. <laughs> that's going to go great for the plot elements of an improvised narrative when you introduce a knife into a story early on. I'm sure nothing bad will happen with that. Is this, this is your stab at, literal stab at, your, your Chekhov's gun, right? It's exactly. Grace's knife. If you put a knife on the table, you had better cut some vegetables or or your spouse's head off with it. I mean, if it's an improv scene, you have to start chopping vegetables. And I watch people <laughs> right. chopping vegetables in for going, how long is that carrot? What? You, are, <laughs> right. you are chopping this so finely. I've never yeah. seen anyone use a mandolin, you know, like not the instrument, the little thing. Why do people do that? Well, yeah, a lot of people have sort of first thoughts in general about their improv moves. So like... Um, the the you know go for the more obscure kitchen appliances i support that you know uh there's other things to do in a cemetery besides dig the graves i think <laughs> there's other there's other maintenance things that you like you could just be raking leaves in a cemetery that's fine that's fair i mean this is none of this is anything i ever have to work about i am never the person who initiates a scene in my improv group i'm and also we only ever initiate by being smart it's like the story's set in Azerbaijan. And so all we do is we walk on and we go, lovely to be here in Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan. And the audience go, wow, these boys are smart. Right, right, right. I, I do the opposite. I play at the bottom of my intelligence at all points. <laughs> um, so uh, so this year at Fringe, I was doing Baby Wants Candy, but we were also doing Shamilton, which is a uh, improvised Hamilton. It's very similar to Baby Wants Candy, but it's based on a, a historical character. And because of the demands of this show, uh, which were not, I was not going to be allowed to hide in the show by just doing four or eight bars. And like, there's just too many, uh, there's too much need for rap in the show. And you can't have one person being like, I'm not that good at rap <laughs> in the show. So leading up to Fringe this year, I went on TikTok Live and did like, basically I did 45 minutes a day for about a month where I would just freestyle on TikTok Live with people suggesting things in the chat and stuff and so there this is why i want to talk to you which is like i actually turned a corner this year where now i i'm not saying i'm not at your level i'm not at your typical i'm not at a ross bryant level or a harry mack level but i have turned a corner this year which is like i can just put on a beat on youtube an instrumental and just go um and even acquit myself fairly okay even if i can't think of a rhyme um and this the thing I want to ask you is like I feel like it's now it's very addictive to me because it's almost like a um a shortcut into like getting into a flow state. Yeah. Um and of course now the thing is like I want everyone I want everyone to be like, hey, can I freestyle rap for you? And I'm not good enough. Not I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm not sure everyone's enjoying it. Yeah. Did you ever have that like or do you get that feeling from it? I mean, it is it's 
it's it's just a flow state. Uh, I don't get the feeling from it that I am addicted to it or that I, you know, I'm like, God, I can't wait to do this. Like I, God, I, you know, the fact that going on like live streaming, rapping every day, like I did that at the start of the pandemic. And then when I was able to not have to do that all the time, I was like, <laughs> thank God. It's, you know, obviously it's great. Obviously it's brilliant, but it's tedious. It's so, oh my God, you're just rapping forever. Yeah, so I did it basically to add an element of like of stakes to it because me just doing it at home at my computer. Yeah, of course. Without the pressure, you don't get the flow. Um, you've got to have the adrenaline. I enjoy it a lot. Like Being on stage, especially with a band, is really cool. Um, and just keeping it fresh by using new beats and making it specifically difficult, like with challenging suggestions, I really like. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember any point where I was like, oh, this is the moment that I've cracked it and I can just do it because, I mean, I've done it for 21 years. And the first six years, I was unaware that freestyle rap was even a thing. I was just rapping in my room and just like, oh, this is what people do. You just make up raps, don't you? <laughs> I mean, you weren't wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I just didn't, I wasn't thinking of it as a thing I'd ever do on stage. And, you know, I'm sure there's probably a a moment. I mean, I think I like genuinely, I, I don't practice. I don't do any time. If I'm not on stage, I'm not rapping. The only time I do it off stage is if I'm recording cameos or doing virtual shows. I mean, did you ever take a, uh, was it just like, I'm just doing it a lot and hey, now I happen to be good at it. Or did you ever take a sort of a pedagogical approach about like, let me figure out, here's somebody who's doing this in a cool way. Let me figure out what they're doing. No, because I didn't know what it was until I went to university. So. And, by, and also you went to University of Rap. Yeah, to... exactly. Yeah, the famous the famous British institution, Rap University. Uh, it's where, you know, people are like, oh, rap was founded in the Bronx. Uh, and no, actually, um, it's one of the few things that the British didn't steal. We we invented uh, <laughs> rap in the late eighteen hundreds. So, actually, so let me ask you this: what What is your relationship with like rap culture in general? In terms of you know, there's a lot of uh, charged ideas around. I mean, specifically around like white people rapping. That's mm -hmm. a thing that people have pretty strong feelings about, and. Do you have a, like, what are just, what are your thoughts about this these days? Yeah. I, I, are there still those feelings? Maybe I'm not in dialogue enough. I mean, obviously you have, you know, I play off the fact that, oh, I mean, for, for those listening, I am a, a, a white British <laughs> yes, man. I'm sorry not to clarify uh, that. Yes. <laughs> that's all right. And uh, when I started rapping, it was because I liked rap music. There was a guy at my school called Galid who was the guy you went to if you needed an album. So he would download music like, oh. from Kazar or LimeWire and give you a CD. Uh, for free? Uh, no, no, you buy it. It was a, a, one pound per CD. Okay, good, good, um, good deal. Very reasonably priced. And you, you could get um, like you know, six for five pounds. And, <laughs> yeah, like specials. Yeah, so when I was 10 years old at primary school, I had a friend, David, who would give me albums of his to borrow. So it was like new metal rap rock so like limp biscuit and i was like oh wow i like how this guy is rhyming and then he gave me eminem uh like the slim shady or martian mothers lp but my mum wouldn't let me listen to them because she's like oh these are rude and offensive they say explicit lyrics on the front so you can't listen to that 
Um, but I also liked, and then when I went to university, I went to secondary school, so I'm 11. I, I like you know grunge music and heavy metal, and Galid would give me Nirvana albums, but Nirvana albums aren't 74 minutes, which is the length of a an extended CD. So he would fill up the, the space with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Eminem. And then my mum wouldn't know I had those because one, they're burned CDs and two, it's at the end. So I would start listening to those. Then my dad, for some reason, loved the song Miss Jackson by Outkast okay. and got the Stankonia album, which <laughs> starts with Bombs Over Baghdad, which is an amazing song. Pitchfork's song of the uh, 2000s. And I was like listening to these rapper listening to you know andre 3000 and big boy and going wow these guys are great and i assumed they were all making it up i thought all rap was made up on the spot anyway which is why i started freestyling so i was like oh cool i can make up my own raps as well and i just rap rap along to beats and make up my own stuff um but my school was a private boys school in manchester and although it's diverse ish um it's usually diverse with like south asian like we had lots of indian kids who were really smart and went there there were like three black kids in our year galid was one of them and then there was Stu, and there was kwame um and Stu and i were in a band for most of secondary school but it was a metal band not a hip-hop band and he didn't particularly listen to rap kwame wasn't in my class i didn't really know him galid didn't really talk to any of the kids he gave albums to. Oh. He was kind of like, like, yeah, I make money from you, but... He wanted to maintain a professional distance. Yeah, he's like, you guys listen to terrible music, because we're listening, we're like, we love Nirvana. He's like, I keep, I listen to these songs, they're bad. Um, and he would also, I mean, I, again, I spoke about this before, he would put Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle tracks on the albums um, at the end sometimes. So another way for me to get into comedy was through this guy. This guy this guy is a maven. He's responsible for this, uh, essentially. <laughs> so it wasn't something I ever... Because I wasn't in the rap scene in Manchester either. I was growing up there, but I wasn't going to rap battles. Um, it wasn't until university I started realizing, oh, it is written. Um, but I never rapped. I never was doing it. So I never kind of interacted with any kind of rap scene. And I've never have. I've never been in a rap scene, like even when battle rap, which in the UK, battle rap is a predominantly white scene just because the UK is, you know, majority white. I think it's something I was concerned about doing it. Like, oh, is it kind of weird that I'm this big old privileged boy doing it? But then, you know, you read up things about like, and the reason pe people don't like Macklemore is because he's always like, oh, I'm a white guy, apologize. And then I've kind of read some think pieces that he will be like, we just want you to rap. Just like, why you obviously acknowledge stuff, but just rap. Like Eminem is one of the most influential rappers. And I don't think he, you know, he's joked about being white, but he's never like, oh, I have to acknowledge all this stuff. And then... I think being in New York, that's kind of the first time I've intersected with a hip hop scene because the musicians I perform with are session musicians for rappers. And like I did three months in Vegas with Nas's touring band leader. And you work with these black artists who are, have spent their life in, the, in, in rap. And like the first couple of times you perform together, there might be a kind of like, huh, who's this guy? playing at rap is he just playing at rap is he just like hey look at me um and then 
they see that you are talented and that you clearly enjoy it. Because I don't think, you know, you're not freestyle rapping if you don't appreciate rap because it is so, it's such a lyrical thing. And I think there's that whole thing of, you know, 90s hip hop is the best hip hop because it's the most lyrical and Nas is the best because his lyrics are amazing. Uh, 90s hip hop is the best hip hop. It is the best, best hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> I'll confirm. Right. Yeah, and so probably one way that you express that is is your flow, like because you can't have a good flow if you have not been affected by the art itself. I, or I mean, maybe you could, but it's very unlikely that a person would have a good flow as a freestyle rapper and have never heard like a bunch of amazing legends that they are inspired by. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just for you to freestyle to this level, you have to love the music and have in some way surrounded yourself by it. And so for six years, as well as listening to heavy metal, and that is, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say rap is my favorite genre. Um, it is not. I it, My Spotify unwrapped this year was like, number one genre, drone. And I was like, that's the same as every single year. Wait, get, shout, give me give me three drone artists to check out. Well, the, the the biggest guys are called Sun with two N's. Okay. Um, and then really kind of organ drone that's really good more kind of currently. There's a, a woman called Carly Malone, K-A-L-I, and then Malone, like post. Wow, that's uh, so that's, close to Kylie Minogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, really, really similar. I have seen one of those artists in concert, and it's not the drone artist. So <laughs> right. there you go. Um, and then, I mean, Colin Stetson is a great saxophonist who's just put out a drone album, which is great. So, uh, Ooh, I, strong I recommend on all these all these people. Okay, but check out these drone artists. Yeah, and I think then also there's that one of the things that white people in rap was always weird about was like, I think Vanilla Ice, right? I I mock Vanilla Ice in a tour show a lot, but. Vanilla Ice loved rap music. Like, he's from Miami. He loved Miami bass. He was dancing. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying, like, he did love rap. He wanted to be a rapper. He was a dancer. And then he became a rapper. Um, And it's like, how are you presenting yourself? If it's like, you, you never want the rap to be, oh, it's good because I'm white and you didn't expect it. You know, like, I, in LA, I used to, there's a club called the Comedy Union, which is a black club. And... I was the one white guy on the lineup there whenever I played there. And so people would be skeptical. And then you'd freestyle and people were like, oh, that's good. Cool. And no one cares. Like, there, you know. Um, but I think it would be a problem if you walked up and you were like, yo, yo, I'm the illest. I'm the sickest freestyle rapper ever. You're like, you're a guy from the UK. Calm down. <laughs> right. I mean, you um, have two challenges. One is that you're white and the other is that you have a British accent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say a challenge. I would say it, it's it's an advantage in the sense that people don't expect me to be good. But also, I mean, white people in hip-hop, To I mean, for, for the last five years at least, I mean, like, if you look at the UK, you know, if we were looking aside from the biggest legends, like Stormzy, obviously, and Dizzy Rascal and things like that, but the big rappers at the moment are... Like H is a white guy from Manchester, where I'm from, and we sound very different because I never had a Mancunian accent for some reason. Um, and, I can't, and I can't remember the other guy's name. He's from Brighton. These are like very popular rappers, and I, I don't even know if you'd see articles being like in the same way that America would have a conversation, like when Post Malone came on. Because with Post Malone, it was like you were a 
like a country singer? What was Post Malone's deal? Yeah, I don't know Post Malone's backstory, but like there is there is a feeling that I have sometimes about people like Post Malone, where you know hip hop is a black and to some degree like Puerto Rican music genre. So I don't love when like Post Malone is the best selling hip hop artist <laughs> because it's yeah. like. Uh, and I not I don't even know what Post Malone should do about this, but but it is. I'll just get a little depressed sometimes when I see like a genre that is created by an underrepresented group, and then all musical genres, Chris Grace. <laughs> That's why I only listen to Drone. Drone is the whitest. Except music for ever. Drone, <laughs> yeah, Drone is like uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is. I think I'm more sad sometimes at the forces of capitalism that like there's just more white people in general. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not when I talk about Vanilla Ice in my I do a whole parody song where I'm like, this is this is my version of Vanilla Ice. It's a palatable rap. It's an acceptable rap. Like he had the first hip hop song to hit number one. And that's not because it was the best hip hop song up until that point. It's because he was white and the audience is white. And they were like, finally, this music is made by someone who looks like us. And that's the same as Post Malone. That's the same as, you know, I'm not not Eminem because Eminem obviously had the crossover because people were like, wow, a white guy doing this. Eminem, essentially, when he first started, had to overload his flow to the point of like, this is undeniably good. And he had the cosign because Dre was, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Um, his first couple of songs that really came out in the in America had so much content in them that was like... I'm overwhelming you with, like, my technicality. And also, I mean, one thing he did was, you know, yeah, rap is seen as this. Especially when it comes out, when Eminem starts doing it, we're like, oh, what is this? This is this is black music. And this white guy's doing it, and he's making it specifically terrifying to the mainstream. Like, the stuff he's rapping about. It's like, not just am I making your kids listen to music that you might not like because it's done by black people. It's like, I'm also making it more violent than you even thought it could be. Um, not to say there isn't rap from then that is more violent than Eminem, but but he was like a, a he was like a Bloomhouse horror movie of content <laughs> of the lyrics. Um, that reminds me of a, a white rapper that I loved back in the day, who specifically talked a lot about his life was the streets. Oh yeah, streets. yeah. I um was at a college ball where they performed, and they 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 really disappointed everyone because they seemed really annoyed that we were there having fun. And we were all from a rich college, and he was not. And well, I mean, he's rapping about he lost a thousand pounds inside his television, <laughs> and we're singing, we're singing his songs back at him, and he, oh god, yeah, it was not one of the worst live performances I've seen. Really phoned in. You're, you're <laughs> oh, like, look, I shame. know you might not be enjoying this, but we have paid a lot of money to be here, and we do genuinely like you. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, what are you? So you're at the cellar. Um, actually, walk me real quick. Like, what's your? How does this work with the seller? Like, uh, how many? How often are you up? You're sending avails once a week. I'm just curious about all this. Like, you send avails once a week. I'm very lucky uh, that if I say I'm available, I will have spots that night, um, and I'll usually do three or four spots a night. I mean, they've got you know like 16 shows on a night at the weekends sometimes. Um, yeah, you tell them a week in advance. Like, really, their, their availability is like, you send it on a Friday, and then on Tuesday, you're finding out if you're on next Friday. It's a week in advance, because they want people who are in town, the best people who are there just to be up. Um, 
and then you go and you do a 15 minute set in each show you're in i'm pretty much always on at the end of the show i assume now you you have a certain like a uh, you have a bit of tech needs for your show right yeah i mean in the main in the big room we've got a band so they play for me in the original room i plug my phone in in the bar there's a dj uh, and i just bring a new beat each night you you hear a beat what's uh what are the things that when you hear a beat you're like oh yeah i mean i can play you a beat that i've been using the like the last couple nights which just this should come through like i heard this and was just like oh this is more soulful and sample based than i would usually use and it's like this is a producer that i like called dexter with an h at the end dexter um and i really like this because that sample's nice the drum sounds good it's between like 85 and 95 bpm so that's a speed that people can keep up with it's it's got enough variation i don't mind it also i have the license for that so yeah this is that 90s feel yeah the yeah 90s exactly. feel. it doesn't get you into triplets yeah it's boom bap <laughs> do you have a place you like to get your beats i just go to youtube and just spend half an hour clicking around producers that i like and then also little wildcard tracks that come up and then Usually if someone's made a good track, they can probably make more in that style. So oh. just add them to my rotation. And are you reaching out to them directly and Venmoing them or something? Or uh, Some producers I do. But if they're really big producers, they're just getting people using their beats, paying a license and using it. So I, there are producers I work with and there are musicians who I use to make custom songs for me because I'm a musician. But again, I'm very drone-based, so I cannot make anything... At all catchy. <laughs> I cannot wait to Edinburgh 2025, the Chris Turner drone show. That's good. Gonna- oh, it would be a dream. I would, my, these 90 minute new material shows, soon I'll start opening for myself with electronic music because <laughs> it's just so much fun. Oh, you haven't gone down the path of like modular synths and stuff, have you? Oh, literally. I mean, I'm just, I just literally moved my head and you can see on the wall of my booth behind me several synths. Um, that are all built by weird people in sheds. We're going to take a time-lapse photo of this back wall over the next five years as it grows and grows. <laughs> I mean, this this one, I mean, again, for the listener, this is boring, but like, for Chris Grace, look at that. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. That is a whole world I'm, I'm, for the sake of my husband, I am not going down because of our limited real estate in our It's home. considerate of you. Yes. Don't get off this, this show and be like, Chris has a soundproof booth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Chris, um, uh, what's a great way for people to reach you and follow you? Um, so you can watch my raps on YouTube. You can just search Chris Turner rap and I'll come up. Uh, and then I have my Instagram, which I rarely use, uh, anything outside of the stories feature, which is a Chris Turner comedy. You can get customized freestyle raps on Cameo by going to Chris Turner comedy. And then the best way to find out about shows is to go to, uh, britishcomedian.com don't put in www dot for some reason it doesn't work but I do have the domain britishcomedian.com you put your email and your location and you'll get an email if I ever gig near you alright yeah go sign up for that Chris it's been such a pleasure catching up with you I've been so proud and impressed by all of your accomplishments these last couple years and I really look forward to you winning the edinburghbookings.com comedy award or whoever's sponsoring it at that point. Exactly, yeah. LaCroix Edinburgh Comedy Award. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And until next time, Chris. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>
That was my interview with Chris Turner. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please go check out his YouTube channel. It's really, really fun. He's got a lot of fun videos there of him doing freestyle raps at the Comedy Cellar. And uh, let's get a little ramble on, you guys. I just got back from Paris, Texas at the Tower City Comedy Festival. I want to give a thanks to Daryl Felsberg, who runs that festival. And I got to hang out with one of my heroes, Jimmy Pardo, who put on an amazing one-hour comedy show. I uh, got to do a thing called Off the Cuff, where we sort of came up with stand-up bits on the spot based on words projected on a screen. That was uh, very fun. And uh, I guess I can say here, like, I'm 90% sure this is happening, but I will be bringing a solo comedy show to Edinburgh Fringe this year. I believe this year I'll be doing a solo comedy show, some improv, and some stand-up. So I'm going to be quite busy, but... I think what I've learned in 2022 going into 2023 is that for whatever reason, I actually function better when I'm busier. Um, actually doesn't work for me to only have like one thing on my plate. For some reason I need to have four and then I need to also add a podcast on top of it. So keep that in mind. I'll be in Houston, Texas in uh, March for the riot comedy festival. I will be, uh, uh, I, we're actually looking at setting up some dates with my friend Tim Murray uh, at doing some stand-up comedy in Cleveland, Ohio, his hometown, and my hometown of Houston, Texas, sometime in April. Uh, so yeah, a lot of stuff on the docket coming up. And I'm still doing coding stuff and all that stuff. I mean, just got some annoying news about uh, our Obamacare health insurance that I have for this year where uh, they recalculated some numbers and now like... I made like just, just barely too much money to qualify for the, what they call the cost savings reductions. So the premium that I thought I was going to pay in 2023 is actually higher than it was. It's about $200 higher than it was. And I'm getting worse. I've got bumped down to a worse insurance uh, plan. So uh, yeah, I'm still going to be working on my coding and my programming. You guys, <laughs> I need like a real corporate health insurance policy. Um, so, okay, stay safe, stay warm. We'll see you next week. I hope you have a great time. I hope you get some sleep and um, you'll be hearing from me very soon. You've been listening to The Chris Grace Show. Today's episode was edited by Eric Michaud and produced by Chris Grace. The opening music is Easy Cooking by Boom Opera. And the closing music is Chinese Hip Hop by Alexander Brewfire. You can email us at podcast at chrisgrace.com and join our community at club.chrisgrace.com. I'm your host, Chris Grace. Thank you very much for listening.